This presentation is from UX Australia 2020, day two. So our last uh, talk for the morning um, is Xi'an, uh, and she will be talking us through um, a whole range of accessibility um, factors that we need to think about when designing mobile uh, and wearable um, systems and uh, apps. So Jian is coming. Oh, <laughs> there you are. Hi. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. I will. I will hand over to you. Excellent. Thank you very much. So today I'm going to talk about mobile accessibility and let me just make this smaller so you don't get it overlapped. Um, and so I'm going to start, uh, it's a little bit different to the other presentations. This is a lot more about what you can actually uh, do, uh, functional requirements. Uh, but I'm going to start with mobile accessibility fails. Um, I've run a kind of presentation like this for ooh, six years now. Um, and I really enjoy uh, running this presentation about basically, you know, all the terrible things that can go wrong when it comes to mobile accessibility. Um, and really, uh, if you look at it, you'll see that these are actually mobile usability fails uh, as well. So this is one example here. Um, this is Jamie Oliver's uh, recipes app. And uh, when you first open the app, it throws you to um, the iPhone uh, video player and plays a video without any captions or audio descriptions or anything like that. And that fails the WCAG 2 success criterion 2.2.2 uh, pause, stop, hide. Very distracting, uh, difficult for a user to deal with. This here is Amazon um, and of course what's the one thing that you do when you go to Amazon is you search and here the search is grey text on a white background, doesn't meet WCAG 2, success criterion 1.4.3, contrast minimum and I actually sat down next to uh, a UX designer at one of these places, you know, Amazon, eBay, Alibaba, one of those and um, mentioned that, uh, you know, that this was a big problem across really all the systems and uh, they said, oh, yes, we, we actually fixed that uh, a couple of weeks ago and our profits increased by 13%. So, you know, accessibility, it helps absolutely everyone. This here is Netflix. Um, I basically, until COVID happened, would travel the world, speak at conferences, and Netflix was kind of like, you know, the way I managed to survive, I think, going around the world and staying at different places, places where I didn't even speak the language, etc. And every now and again, I would get this error, which was called error with no additional information. And this is a failure of WCAG 2 success criterion 3.3.1 error identification and 3.3.3 .3 error suggestion. Uh, this is something that I'm sure you've seen a lot of. Uh, this is the ABC app. On the left is the absolutely smallest text size, which is probably what, six points. And on the right is the absolute largest text size which is probably about 12 or 14 points. And that's not really sufficient in terms of resizing text. So that fails the WCAG 2 success criterion 1.4.4 resize text. Uh, 
And of course, actually the biggest problem is, is that when you scroll to the top, uh, the left hand uh, image here shows you the text at the smallest size and the right hand image shows you the text at the largest size and you'll actually see there they look exactly the same. So that actual in-app setting is not inherited by the article title or the article caption, the date, um, you know, the author, etc. So it's a real problem. And this is a Asana before we started using Trello. And uh, basically with Asana, the only way I would work is operating off my tasks. If something wasn't under my tasks, then I wouldn't complete it. But if you looked at the Asana mobile app, there actually was no my tasks option. Uh, and so that fails 3.2.3 consistent navigation. So we came across a whole bunch of these things and some of them had WCAG um, failures and some of them, in fact, quite a lot did not. And so basically a group of us got together to define a mobile accessibility testing methodology. So uh, there's a conference, it uh, usually occurs in DC every year in October, uh, it's on its fourth year this year I believe, and basically one of its town halls in the second year was, you know, what is it as an industry that we're missing that we need, and uh, the decision was we really need something that the entire industry, the entire accessibility industry um, agrees on in terms of mobile accessibility. So at, at the end of 2017, we formed a subcommittee, uh, mobile subcommittee of which I was co-chair to develop a set of mobile accessibility testing guidelines. Um, and now 2018, in June, 2.1 was released. And so we were really hoping that 2.1 would make uh, the need for these mobile guidelines obsolete, that it, you know, it would basically overtake this requirement. But unfortunately, that was not the case. Uh, there are a few problems. So one of them, uh, if we take a step back and talk about WCAG 2, WCAG 2 success criterion are applicable to mobile. Um, however, not all aspects of mobile accessibility are specifically covered by WCAG 2. So for example, although WCAG 2 requires sites to be accessible to the keyboard user, it doesn't actually specify that it should also be accessible to the touchscreen user. WCAG 2.1 does address some of these things and, you know, talks about touchscreen, pointer gestures, sensors and small screen devices, however, it really doesn't cover all the user needs related to mobile accessibility. And so what we um, find is that in mobile, there's a whole set of accessibility features that are quite specific that you don't see in desktop. So there are native screen readers such as TalkBack on Android, Narrator on Windows, if anyone has a Windows phone anymore, VoiceOver on iOS. Volume control, haptic keyboard, visual auditory and vibrational notifications, text to speech and speech recognition, and Zoom that are built into a mobile system. Uh, and it's not a, like a desktop app where you have a number of different options to choose from. There's also a series of system accessibility settings, such as things like font size, touch and hold delay, screen rotation, high contrast, assistive touch, mono audio, etc. And so all these things also affect how people can access content on a mobile device. Uh, one of the things that 2.1 did make very clear, though, was about page variations. So basically, there's an instance where a low vision user might increase the text size on their browser on their desktop. And basically, by increasing the text size, uh, the 
uh, site dis displays a mobile view of the uh, of the website. And if there's different content on the mobile view of the website, then they can't access all the functionality. So this is an example of YouTube, for example. Um, so at 100% uh, screen size, you get the upload and notification buttons in the top right-hand corner, but at 200% screen size, those notifications and upload buttons disappear because it's assumed that if you're on mobile, you would use the YouTube app to upload video. Uh, but in fact, these are people who are on desktop who have to use uh, increased text size because of accessibility requirements and therefore they lose that ability. So this is what I mean here. At 100% you see upload and notifications visible and uh, at 200% it's gone. Now they have fixed this. Um, and they have addressed it, but this is one of the things that WCAG 2.1 makes very clear, is that all your content and all your functionality must be available on each page variation. Now you can hide it, put it on different pages, that kind of stuff, uh, but you know people need to be able to access it in some way. Another thing 2.1 talked about was accessibility support, which basically means um, that when you are talking about testing, especially native apps, you must test with the assistive technologies inherent in the device. Uh, native apps are very different to mobile sites uh, in that you can't actually access the code behind them or it's very, very difficult to do so. And so therefore, uh, you absolutely have to use these assistive technologies that are inherent in these devices. So uh, at the end of uh, 2018, we decided to split the committee into two, uh, one for mobile site accessibility testing methodology and the other for native app accessibility testing methodology and I was co-chair of both subcommittees. We decided that we would not include the errors that are already in WCAG 2 but would include those things that are in 2.1 and that 2.1 things are easily referenced, so it's really quite easy to determine, you know, what's a 2.1 requirement and what's a methodology requirement. And there are some differences, but that's made very clear. Uh, so, for example, our methodology doesn't require that all your images have alt attributes because that's in WCAG 2 and that's just basically uh, assumed. So one of the things that I'd like you to take from this, if you take just one thing, is that it's really important to test with real devices. So as I mentioned, I do a lot of travelling, or I used to, uh, before the world, you know, changed <laughs> significantly. And uh, I basically uh, had to do a lot of flying from Australia, and it's a 15-hour flight, and Australia it's a fantastic place. Um, I love it. Uh, however, it is a little bit behind the times. and. It was only probably mm, two or three years ago that there was Wi-Fi on planes, whereas that uh, four or five years ago there were Wi-Fi on planes in the US. And so I'd fly from Melbourne to LA and I'd be 15 hours without internet and uh, we'd land on the tarmac and often because it's such a long flight, we'd sit on the tarmac for an hour or so because we're waiting for a gate to open or something like that. Um, and you could actually access the airport Wi-Fi, which was fantastic. Um, however, this is what you see. 
Wi-Fi internet access. Were you disconnected? Click here to reconnect. Time left 24 hours, zero minutes. This page will redirect, so content really doesn't make sense to have here. And so all of a sudden, I don't really feel safe giving you my credit card details. And so this is what I mean about making sure you test with real devices and in real locations, in real situations. Because someone tested this, you know, on a computer at their, you know, workplace or whatever and they never came across this and it's you really kind of lose your audience at that point. So let's talk about testing methods. Uh, there are basically four main testing methods when you're testing mobile sites. Testing with devices, uh, on which is mobile and tablet devices. Testing with devices with assistive technologies, which is mobile and tablet devices with assistive technologies, or the mobile features uh, that are inherent in a device. And then a responsive window, which is testing on a responsively sized window on desktop, or and testing on desktop. So those are the four testing methods that you need to utilise. Whereas when you're testing native apps, there's actually only two main testing methods in native app testing, testing with devices and testing with devices with assistive technologies. So I'm going to briefly talk about uh, the site types. Uh, and so this is referencing, of course, only the mobile site uh, guidelines. So there are three types of mobile sites and the testing that you need to do is dependent on what kind of type, what kind of site you're looking at. There are desktop sites that have only one display, whether it's viewed on a desktop or a mobile or tablet device. There are M.dot sites that have a particular display for mobile and tablet sites. And the M.dot site must be tested against the entirety of WCAG 2 in addition to the www version of the site. So don't think that you only need to test this methodology on the M.dot site. You also need to test WCAG 2 on the M.dot site. And then there are responsive websites, which is basically the majority of the websites out there that change depending on the screen size or other feature as determined by the developer. So this is an example of a desktop site. Uh, this is the Australian National Botanic Gardens, and this is what it looks like on a desktop uh, where you've got, you know, your left-hand navigation, header, you know, body content. And if we look at it on a smaller window, so basically if you just drag the window smaller, the browser window narrower, uh, none of the content moves or resizes, it just gets smaller. In order to identify an M.dot site, it's really important that you do all three of these things. The first is to ask the client, do you have an M.dot site? Now, if they say no, you still need to undertake the following steps because we've come across a number of clients who said, nope, we don't have an M.dot site, and halfway through testing, we've actually found one. So you need to ask the client, then you need to go onto your desktop and instead of having starting the URL with www, change it to m and see if something changes. And then you should also look at the site on a desktop and look at the site on the mobile device and compare the two. Now, all these uh, instructions on how to figure this out and how to test and determine what kind of sites these are, are detailed in the methodology, which I'll talk about, uh, you know, are available on the Accessibility Oz website. So don't be too concerned if this is a little bit too overwhelming because there are step-by-step -step instructions on how to actually do these things. So this is an example of a desktop site with an M.dot site. This is the Sephora site. You've got your search in the left-hand corner. You've got header. You've got uh, top-level navigation across the top. Uh, and then you've got sort of a brownie uh, area with four sections, clear, glow, youth, smooth. 
Now, if you change www to m on the desktop, you actually get this instead with a hamburger menu on the left-hand side, search the bar that goes across the entire screen, and it's more of a bluey colour. Um, and then also, if you... Uh, if you look at the www site on a smaller window versus the m dot site on a smaller window, you can see they're very, very different. One is brown, one is blue, one has um, horizontal scrolling, the other doesn't. One has uh, navigation, the other has a hamburger menu, etc. So, as I mentioned, most of the time uh, sites will be responsive. If a site is responsive, it is definitely not a desktop site. However, it is possible, but unlikely, that there's also an MDOT site. So, be aware of that. The site is responsive if the layout changes as you change the browser window. So the best way to test this is to open the website in a browser, ensure the window is not maximised, select the right-hand edge and drag it to the centre of the screen. Now, there are other ways to do this, but they're not allowed under the methodology. So if uh, you have developers who are sniffing for browsers or devices or things like that, that's something you'll need to talk to them about. So this is an example of a desktop uh, a responsive site on desktop. You've got the Accessibility Oz website, you've got the navigation along the top, and then you've got services, which is a row of six items by one. And then if you drag the, uh, the screen smaller, there's no horizontal scrolling. The navigation changes to a hamburger menu, the services are now two by three, etc. So that's um, basically how you determine what kind of site it is and that will then inform what level of testing you need to do. Uh, let's talk briefly about variations of the page. Once again, this is mobile site only. Uh, I just want to reiterate again that it's important that each variation of the page is tested and that all functionality is available on all variations of the page. And so testing methods for responsive website testing are dependent on whether there are variations of the page. And if you have, say, six variations, yes, that can mean a lot of testing. Um, and we talk more about that in the methodology. And it's something that uh, we want to, we really worked to make sure this methodology was updated uh, you know, once a year and we're really interested to know how you find the methodology, if you think this is too onerous, if there's some shortcuts, things like that. So, you know, please, if you are using this and you find, uh, you know, some things that can be improved, please let us know. So why would people provide variations of a page? Often it's to highlight particular content on mobile, such as phone details or a map, or to hide particular content on a mobile, such as an image gallery, because the client doesn't believe that, you know, people would want to actually uh, view that content on a mobile. There's also the possibility of hiding functionality that doesn't work on a mobile phone, such as a drag and drop feature or multi-select or something like that. So, uh, but, all of these things, you really cannot have one variation of a page that has less functionality and content than another. The triggers for a variation of a page can be the device, so iPhone, desktop, Android, etc., operating system, Windows, iOS, OS, etc., uh, the browser, Safari, IE11 or Chrome, uh, but the most common is screen size and really the only viable one is screen size. So if uh, your developers are using a device or operating system or browser, you need to talk to them about changing it to screen size. 
Um, so this is a variation in content included on the page. So you've got the accessibility Oz navigation uh, at, at the desktop size and at a, a mobile sized window, you've got a hamburger menu. Now that is different code. So those two things need to be completely different, uh, completely tested against WCAG 2 and the mobile methodology. Uh, both of those things, it's their different actual code. Whereas this is uh, the ICT accessibility testing symposium where you have um, desktop, it is a vertical uh, home committee register program and on mobile it's just a horizontal home committee register program. That's the same code that has a different layout and so that doesn't need to be uh, tested as onerously because it's actually the same in both systems. Um, each variation needs to be tested. I think I've said that three or four times now, so hopefully that's gone through. Um, and let's talk a little bit about native app testing. So the very first thing that you need to do about native apps is define the application functionality. Native apps are very different to mobile sites. They have a very specific purpose. So if you talk about, say, the Westpac banking app, that app is about maintaining your online account. That is very different to the Westpac website, which might be contacting someone about home loans, trying to find a store, uh, etc, etc. So it's really important that you define the, applic the application functionality. And the thing that you need to be aware of is the workflow from the user experience perspective. There are common elements that always need testing, things like navigation, menus, headers, footers, landing pages, emergency alert pages, login pages, settings, account and profile, contact us, real-time updates such as eBay and Uber, privacy policy, terms and conditions, interactional transactional uh, systems such as selecting a product, adding to cart, payment, live chat, help, Q&A, widgets, calendars and date pickers, third-party integrations like geolocational maps and chats, etc., and or high traffic areas. And in terms of determining what you then test, ask the question, how would the experience be impacted if the functionality failed or the content couldn't be reached or the experience caused a barrier to the user? And then prioritise. All functionality, of course, has to be accessible within the native application. However, it's important to define and include the critical functionality for each individual app to be prioritised in your testing. So let's talk about the actual methodology itself. Uh, there's the mobile site testing methodology overview has five steps and it's very similar to the native app testing methodology which also has five steps. The first step for both is identify devices. The second step is for mobile site is identify site type and variations. The third step is test critical issues. The fourth test is test, fourth step is test mobile specific issues and the fifth step is test mobile assistive technology and feature support. The native app testing methodology is exactly the same except that step two is define application functionality. So step one is identify devices, step two is define application functionality, step three is test critical issues, step four is test mobile specific issues and step five is test mobile assistive technology and feature support. So let's talk about identifying devices. The recommended devices are the iPhone with Safari, iPad with Safari, and an Android phone with Chrome. Now, you really should look at your usage to determine if you want to look at uh, testing a native app with an Android tablet as well. 
Also, if you're testing, say, an EPUB or something like that, then consider testing on a, you know, something that requires a specific device, then consider testing with that specific device, such as a Kindle. We recommend testing on the latest version of iOS and the latest two versions of Android. And if a site is aimed directly at a group of people with a particular kind of disability, such as switch users, then testing with those assistive devices specifically. And once again, you need to meet WCAG 2 and this mobile testing methodology. So the next step for mobile sites is identify site type and variations of the page. So firstly, identify if the site is desktop responsive or MDOT. And if the site is responsive, identify each variation of the page. And for native apps, define application functionality. So identify, as we talked about before, navigation, login flows, account profile, help sections, etc., and then uh, the important uh, sections and the user flows. And then talk, uh, test critical issues. Now, one of the things that we found when we did this, uh, we developed this methodology, is that we found that there are a whole lot of new uh, traps that we found in mobile sites on native apps that aren't uh, occurring on desktop. So a trap is basically where a user is trapped within a component and can't escape without closing the browser or the app. There are many more traps in mobile sites and native apps than on desktop, and so here are some of them. The first one we called the exit trap. Ensure there is always an accessible, actionable item, e.g. a close button that meets colour contrast requirements and has an accessible name that closes any feature that overlays the current page, such as a full page ad. This applies to all users and its methodology is uh, falls under both the mobile site and native app. This is an example here. Um, it's a Facebook uh, page and it has a full page ad for HP portfolio and there's no actual way to close that ad. Uh, so that is an exit trap. This here is also an exit trap. You've got just a pop-up, a full sale for San Francisco Chronicle. It does have a close button, but the close button doesn't meet colour contrast requirements and it doesn't meet touch target size requirements either. So that would also be defined as an exit trap. Then we have a swipe scroll trap. Ensure you do not override standard mobile touch functions such as swiping, scrolling, etc., on the majority of the page. This applies to touch users and the methodology applies to both the mobile site and native app. So this is an example here where you scroll down to the bottom of the page and once you at the bottom of the page, you can't scroll up uh, because the only thing that is active at that point is the little arrow in the bottom right-hand corner. Now, uh, if you activate that, you can uh, go straight back to the top of the page. But of course, if that isn't keyboard accessible or you know it doesn't meet colour contrast requirements, people won't know um, and they basically are stuck where they are. This is an, another example uh, called the Zoom of Doom. Uh, basically, if you um, swipe anywhere on the map area, which takes up almost all of the screen, then you move the map, you don't move the page. The only way to move the page is to hit those small areas of white around the side of the, um, of the map. So this is uh, something that uh, can be a real problem. Then we have a text-to-speech trap. If the app has an ability to provide content via text-to-speech, the screen reader user must be able to pause or stop the app speaking in a simple manner, e.g. by performing a swipe on a screen. Now this applies only to screen reader users and the methodology is only native app. 
this here is an example of the pocket app and if you press play um, you can uh, hear the article being read aloud to you but once a screen reader user presses play they can't actually stop the text-to-speech with their screen reader um, and of course the text-to-speech and the screen reader will talk at the same time and they won't be able to continue. Um, headset traps. Headset users must always be able to pause media, audio or video content by using the pause play control on the headset. This applies to screen reader users and headset users and the methodology is only native app. Um, and this is an example here where you've got audio in the bottom um, of the screen and you can mute that audio by hitting the little mute button. Um, however, if you are using a screen reader or a headset, if you hit pause on the headset or uh, it will pause the screen reader, it won't pause that audio. And lastly, we have a layer trap. The user should not be trapped on a non-visible layer. This applies to all users, but it's mostly encountered by screen reader users. And the methodology is mobile site and native app. Uh, so basically here is a website where if you open the uh, hamburger menu, uh, it overlays the entire page, which is great. However, the screen reader user is stuck on the underlying page and can't actually access any of the menu contents. So that's a layer trap. Next, we have mobile specific issues. And we've grouped these into a number of different groups. The first section is alternatives. Alternatives are provided for non-web mobile functionality that is mandatory. For example, recording a specific gesture by the camera before functionality appears. So for example here, uh, it requires that you copy a particular gesture, uh, which is you know, a little peace sign. Um, and at the bottom, there's an option that says need another way. And if you activate that, you have this verification query and type your message. So the alternative is not really sufficient, doesn't meet color contrast requirements. However, there is an alternative. Um, but of course, making that kind of gesture is not going to be possible for someone who perhaps has a physical disability or um, is a screen reader user, can't see the actual screen. Uh, alternatives are provided for geolocation functionality that is mandatory. For example, requiring a specific geolocation before functionality appears. Unless the geolocation is essential for legal reasons or doing so would invalidate the activity. This applies to geolocation by GPS, user statement, IP address or other methods. So this is an example here of IKEA, where if you say that you're going to block the location, it comes up with this pop-up that says, info, location service is not enabled for this app. Please go to settings and enable it, limited functionality of app. And, you know, it doesn't talk about what level of limited functionality. There's really no reason why um, it should limit the functionality. Whereas this is a pass, so this is Lyft, um, for those who aren't aware of Lyft, it's a little bit like Uber, or well, is very much like Uber. Um, and you can see here that uh, me, the user, is located in northeast Portland, but I've asked that the Uber or the Lyft picks me up in a different location. Um, and so, and it allows that. It doesn't say, hey, you're not in that location, therefore you can't be picked up in that location. And this is really important for people who uh, say, might there might be carers that are sending an Uber to pick someone up or something like that. Uh, so this is, this is uh, really valuable uh, functionality. 
Changes of state of non-standard controls, e.g. hamburger menus and star ratings are clearly indicated. So here we have the United app, and when the hamburger menu is closed, you've got a little hamburger menu. And when the hamburger menu is open, that little hamburger menu turns into an arrow, and uh, that shows that you can then close, uh, close the screen. And of course, the alternative uh, is open menu and close menu, as opposed to just menu, menu. Uh, the next group is display. So size of touch targets is at least 44 by 44 CSS pixels, which is approximately 7 to 10 millimetres. For more information, see WCAG 2.1 success criterion 2.5.5 target size. Please note that this differs from WCAG 2.1. A success criterion 2.5.5 is a level AAA requirement, but in this methodology, it is a mandatory requirement. And that's just a, a little thing about methodology. Everything that we say in the methodology is a mandatory requirement. We don't have level A, double AA, A, triple A, we just say everything's required. And you can see whenever we reference something that's WCAG 2.1, we specify exactly how it differs or is the same to 2.1. So this is an example here of a fail of touch target size. You know, you're on the Airbnb site and uh, in the it pulls up this thing saying, do you want to install the Airbnb app? Um, and to close that little pop-up, you have to hit that really small uh, close button. And if you hit the actual Airbnb icon, which is only a couple of pixels uh, next to it, then it will actually open the app. So that fails that requirement. This is a pass, this is an Outlook message. Um, so the section uh, 2, CC, BCC, subject um, and the body content all have sufficient touch target size requirements as well as the close button and the send button, etc. Um, actionable items have sufficient inactive space between them. Inactive space of at least 10 pixels should be provided around active elements. So this is an example here of Asana again, um, and just be really careful about what you uh, what you hit. Oh, I don't have a circle for that. But in the top right-hand corner, you've got an edit button and a couple of pixels underneath that, you've got a mark complete button. And uh, they're the exact opposite. And if you accidentally hit mark complete instead of edit, then it's gone. You can't bring it back, um, which is another WCAG failure. So uh, spacing is really important as well because you don't have that fine motion movement that you have with a mouse when you're talking about mobile devices. Then we have actionable items. Native UI controls, objects, alerts, and elements have been used. And this is really important because uh, assistive technologies that are inherent in mobile devices are really reliant on the native controls. So you really don't want to, and they, they come inbuilt with certain accessibility uh, features. So you really don't want to recreate something that already exists because then you kind of have to add a whole bunch of accessibility features onto it. This is an example here. Uh, where you've got uh, instead of just a select box, which would appear on your mobile device as a little scroller, uh, it's a JavaScript widget which drops down the 14, 15, 16, 17 and opens the keyboard uh, on, the, on the mobile device. Incredibly difficult to use, really just should have been the select box, doesn't need to be anything more complicated than that. When direct input via the keyboard is not required, provide options for the user to achieve the same result. I use drop down radio buttons and checkboxes, etc. So, for example, this here is uh, 
Prime now, you know, fill out your address and it asks for your full name, address one, address two, state, city, zip code, etc. Now, the country region is a drop down, but the states are not. And there's only a set number of states in the United States and there's only a set number of states in Australia. So that should really be a drop down. It shouldn't, you shouldn't require the user to type that content out because they're more likely to make a mistake. Um, and this is like, you don't have to go this far, but this is a really great way, which is where you type in the address and there's drop downs at the bottom that says, well, this is what you mean. So you've typed in 2001 space M and the first thing that pops up is 2001 Market Street, San Francisco. So you can just then select it and it fills everything out properly. Um, be very careful when you're doing that. Uh, that can cause some accessibility problems in terms of selection and things like that. But um, that's, uh, that's done properly in this particular example. Functionality that can be operated by device motion or user motion can also be operated by user interface components and responding to the motion can be disabled to prevent accidental actuation, except for certain situations. And for more information, see WCAG 2 success criterion, one point, uh, sorry, 2.1, 2.5.4 motion actuation. So this is an example here if you're on a your SMS app on iOS, if you shake the phone, it says undo typing, cancel undo. Now this fails because it can be turned off in settings, but there is no actual alternative. Uh, whereas this is on Facebook, uh, whereas if you uh, shake the phone when you're on Facebook, it says, you know, report a problem and it it can't be turned off unless you actually shake the phone because see the turn off option is there once you've shaken the phone, but there is another way of actually uh, reporting a problem. So those are two areas where they've failed um, and they both uh, put together, they kind of pass. Um, another thing that we basically have outlawed is infinite scrolling, which is where you scroll to the bottom of a screen and additional content automatically gets loaded. Um, this can be really problematic for screen ready users, keyboard users, magnifier users, etc. Um, and so that's something that we don't allow. Uh, navigational aids. Uh, visual indicators such as arrows, next and previous buttons have been used to indicate swipe or scroll areas for additional functionality. So for example here, this is the BBC site, um, and if you swipe from right to left, you go to the next tab, which is My News. However, there's no indicator of what the horizontal swipe will actually do, and that's what you need to do. You need to show that uh, somehow visually that a horizontal a swipe will uh, engender that response. Navigational aids such as back buttons, breadcrumbs, next and previous buttons have been provided. And so here, for example, uh, you've got the uh, music app on uh, Android. I think it's the iTunes app on Android. And basically there's no clear navigational aids. Like how do you get rid of that screen? There's no swipe area or there's no close button. There's nothing. You actually just need to swipe from the top to the bottom to close it, but that's not indicated anywhere. Uh, then we have audio and video. Uh, we require that all audio and video have an accessible transcript. Um, this is something that I've actually believed for a very long time and I, I wanted it to be in WCAG too, back when I was on the working group. Uh, and it's something that the group of people on the committee, which consisted of uh, basically the all the 
big accessibility companies agreed that a transcript is really important. So here is, uh, you know, if you follow, follow any of my presentations the last year or two, you know that I dislocated my toes about 18 months ago, so I've got a whole bunch of rehab things I need to do. And this is a great app called Fizzy App. Uh, it has a video which shows you what it is that you need to do to strengthen certain parts. And there's a transcript at the bottom which says, sit in a chair with your feet flat on the floor, take a deep breath in and lift your toes up, hold this position, then relax. And then we have forms. So field labels must be positioned adjacent to their input field and appear closest to their respective input field in relation to other field labels and other input fields. So this is an example of a failure where, you know, you have, do you have experience as a speaker in other conferences? And the yes button is actually closer to the no than it is to the yes. And the no button is really hard to see because it doesn't really meet colour contrast requirements. And then, of course, mobile sites only, we talk about mobile desktop interaction. So item labelling between different types of a site, desktop, MDOT and responsive, and different variations of a responsive site must be consistent. So this is what we talked about before with Asana, whereas the desktop site, uh, the desktop app had my tasks, whereas the mobile app did not. And then the, uh, the next step is to test mobile technology and feature support. And basically it's required that all actionable items and important content can be accessed by the following assistive technologies or when the following feature is enabled. And these are the assistive technologies and features that we recommend that you test with. VoiceOver on iOS, keyboard on iOS, keyboard and switch on iOS, Zoom on iOS, Invert Colours on iOS, Grayscale on iOS and Reader View on iOS, which of course is a mobile site only thing. Talkback on Android, Keyboard on Android, Keyboard and Switch on Android, Magnification on Android, Invert Colours on Android, Grayscale on Android, Increased Text Size on Android and Simplified View, which is a mobile site thing on Android. Now, the mobile methodology documents has step-by-step -step instructions on how to actually test with these assisted technologies. So we don't actually say just test with keyboard and switch. We tell you exactly how you go about doing that. And we had that written by people who were expert in those assisted technologies. Um, so, and we actually in the mobile guidelines have specific passes and fails. So you can see exactly what it is that you're looking for. Um, so I just want to show you where this document is located. Um, if you go to the Accessibility Oz website and then go to Resources Mobile Testing, you'll get this page here. It talks a little bit about the document, the documents. Then you've got the mobile site testing methodology and the native app testing methodology. So there are two overview documents. Uh, there's the methodology itself, and then there's about the mobile site testing. So you know, talking about devices and assistive technologies and site types and how you capture errors. And then you've got the critical test cases. And they cover things like all the traps and they give you how exactly how you test those things and some passes and fails, the mobile test cases and the assistive technology. And then you have the same for native apps as well. So we are basically, uh, this has been released in the last month um, and we'll be 
reconvening the committees uh, after the ICT Accessibility Testing Symposium in October to talk about creating a version three of these documents. And uh, we'd be really interested to know how you find them, uh, if you find them useful, things that you find confusing, uh, etc. cetera. Um, and if you'd like to be involved, even if you're not an accessibility expert, but you're a mobile expert, we'd love to have you. Uh, please do get in touch. So thank you very much for your time um, and I'll hand over to Steve. Thank you so much, Jan.